16 years ago, or over 16 years ago, myself and another youth pastor went to Thailand. I did junior high youth ministry for five years, and this was the end of that five-year time. And so me and Pastor G, we called him, his name was Gerald. And so me and Pastor G went to Thailand, northern Thailand, at the very top. Actually, we changed plans. We were going to go to the Philippines, but things got kind of dicey. So last minute, we changed plans and went to Thailand. So we didn't really know exactly what we're getting into. And we were there with this youth team made of junior hires and, and high schoolers. Um, to say the least, we stood out. Now, kind of go with me for a moment. I had longer hair, so I had this blonde hair, blue eyes. Um, let's just say in that part of, of uh, Thailand, they don't see a lot of Americans with blonde hair and blue eyes. Well, they also didn't see a lot of guys like my friend, Pastor G. Uh, he was Mexican-American, uh, bald. Not only did he drive a tank in the army as reserves, he was built like a tank. He was huge. And so we were actually like at a grocery store, Wherever we went, we kind of got some attention, but we're at a grocery store and me and him are just kind of getting some supplies kind of without the rest of the team. And we're starting to get a lot of attention. You know, like when you travel, you don't necessarily want to get a lot of attention, but we're getting a lot of attention. We're at the store and people are starting to look at us and point at us. And, and we're actually in line. It culminated at this point when we're in line, uh, there was a little boy in a cart in front of him and Pastor G kind of looks at him and goes, hey there, buddy, you know, kind of like that. And the kid just bursts out in tears, just starts crying, right? And I don't even know what he was saying because obviously I don't speak Thai. So um, it was one of those kind of chaotic scenes like, oh, hey, <laughs> we, we definitely stand out. But look, as Christians, maybe not in that sense, but we're called to stand out from our world. We're called to make an impact. We're called to be different. We're not called just to kind of blend in and be undercover. Jesus describes the, the impact he wants a church to have in the world when, he go, when we're going through this passage, this section, in Matthew chapter 5. So if you could turn there, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, we're going to read 13 through 16, where Jesus calls the church, the Christians, two analogies he uses, light and salt. So we're going to explore those today. So verse 13, track along with me if you can. If you have your phone or device or you can have the words right up behind you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So of course, uh, me being the outreach pastor gets this passage, right? I get the salt and light passage. That actually wasn't by design. as one of those things that just kind of worked out with the timing and schedule of the series we're going through, but I do like it. Okay, so in context, this is the second week of going through this series, Sermon on the Mount, that Dan covered the Beatitudes last week. And the big theme is, who is your king? Is Jesus our king? And if he is our king, what does that look like? Um, how does that make a difference in our lives? How we function, how we live things out? Now, there's a reason that this section that we're gonna cover today follows the Beatitudes. Sometimes Beatitudes are called beautiful attitudes. That's really what they are. Describing the inner character of the child of God. If you're a child of God, there's an inner character that we have and working toward. Okay, so these attitudes set the stage for us as Christians to make a difference in the world. These two metaphors, salt and light, reveal how, 
how those who live out the Beatitudes are to relate to the world. So we live out these attitudes, but yet we relate to our world. And this gives us some insight how to do that. So followers of Jesus draw attention to God by standing out. By standing out from the world, not blending in. So by standing out from the world, we make God look good. We draw attention to God. So we're going to transition from the character of the follower of Jesus to the purpose of the Christian in the world. You know that you have a purpose? You have assignment. We have a role here in this world. And that is good news. Okay, so it's not our similarities that are attractive. It's not our similarities to those around us that, that draw people to Jesus. It's actually what is different. That is the lure that draws people to Jesus. It's what's different. Jesus was different than the religious establishment, was he not? I mean, he had this real care and compassion that people were drawn to. He taught practical application in real ways. He wasn't afraid to call sin, sin, or address the, the spiritual leaders they may have missing the mark. The disciples are radically different. I mean, these are common folk, common fishermen, very different than uh, the pupils or students that a rabbi would normally have. Everyone could kind of relate to these guys. They had simple lives. They really sacrificed pretty much everything they knew that was comfortable to follow Jesus. And the church throughout the ages has been radically different in its standards and morals, uh, not being all about pleasure-seeking, being sacrificial, the family unit itself is a witness. And so there's many ways been different over the years. And if our lives are filled with the attitudes that, that Pastor Dan talked about last week, the mercy, humility, peacemaking, purity, justice-seeking, willingness to suffer, we will stand out. When we have these attitudes in our lives being lived out, displayed, we will stand out. It will make a difference. And notice Jesus says, we are these things. He says, we are the salt. We are the light. He doesn't say, I want you to work on this. I want you to strive to be. He says, no, this is your identity. Now go do it. Now go live it out. It's who you are. Now go be what you are. Salt and light are seen as positive things. These are good things. They're not negative things, and they have a positive impact in our world. So the idea for us is that those around us, the world around us, is to be better off because me and you exist. It's that simple. Since these are positive things, those around us are better off because me and you are here. Now, let's just break this down. Verse 13 you go back and look at that. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, salty is the theme that we used for our go teams back in January. And it was so great. You remember some of those salty shirts? You'll kind of see them around from time to time. And it's not just, you know, these global outreach teams, our go teams that go out are to be salty. This is something for all of us. We're all called to be salty in our world. We're all called to have a positive influence, positive impact in our world. Now look, I'm grateful for our GO teams. Out of our six GO teams in 2018, we have two that are putting in freshwater wells for communities. One already did in Kenya. Another one's going to go later, El Salvador. Uh, we have a team that's going to Baja just in a couple of weeks, building a couple of homes, which is so great for families in need. We have a team going to Honduras that's going to be working with an orphanage of 500 children and working on an um, occupational uh, training center. We have a team, the youth team going to Mazatlan and they're going to be doing vacation Bible school for a new church plant in this city. And then um, I'm going to actually be heading up a team going back to Thailand after all these years uh, working with missionaries contacts I know and then LBF contacts uh, as well. And so uh, excited what God is doing out in the world, but yet God wants to use each of us. Whether you are in a go team or not or have been in the past, God wants to use us right here. The bottom line is that we are to have an influence on our world around us. 
We're to have an influence. We're to make a difference. Have influence right here. Now there's a Peanuts cartoon that showed Peppermint Patty talking to Charlie Brown. She said, guess what, Chuck? The first day of school and I got sent to the principal's office. It was your fault, Chuck. He said, my fault? How could it be my fault? You say everything is my fault. She said, you're my friend, aren't you, Chuck? You should have been a better influence on me. <laughs> nice, right? Kind of love that passing the buck. But there is this concept that we are to be having an influence on those around us. That's our role. That's being salt in our world. Okay, so I'm going to go through five attributes of salt pretty quickly, because uh, some of this is kind of a, a review that we did. We covered some of this um, when we had our Go Team Sunday. And so the first thing is that salt has great value. Roman soldiers were often paid in salt, or sometimes were paid in salt, and that's where we get the term worth your salt, or we get the word salary from. And so they would actually use the salt. It had great value. Um, salt was a necessity. Thousands of Napoleon soldiers died during the retreat from Moscow because their wounds just simply would not heal. Their bodies lack salt. Our human body needs about four ounces of salt at any given time. Without it, um, our muscles won't contract. Blood won't circulate the way it should. Our digestive system won't work the way it's supposed to. And the heart will eventually stop. And this is exactly what happened to Napoleon's army. So as a Christian, just when you hear this, you have great value before God. We kind of look at the packaging sometimes. We go, I don't know if I see this value, but yet he sees value. If you're a child of God, he sees great value and he sees the difference that you can make in the world. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God resides in you and he sees you as precious. Okay, second thing, prevents decay. There's no such thing as refrigeration back in this time. Actually, refrigeration didn't come online until, you know, later on in the uh, 19th century. And so the idea is that this salt would be used to preserve food, particularly for meat. You'd pack your meat in it. You'd actually use it to preserve things and keep the life things so it wouldn't rot and fester. So we should have a preserving effect on our world. Uh, we, if the world has left itself, it will fester and rot. It's just that simple. Now, throughout the ages, the church has had a radical impact on our world. A uh, big one is adding new value to human life. Uh, prior to Christianity, infanticide and abandonment of children was common practice. Hospitals, now that we know, had influence from Christianity to get started. The Red Cross was originally started by evangelical Christian. Uh, almost every one of the first 123 universities and colleges in the United States had Christian origins founded by Christians and used for Christian purposes. Now, all of these things were really seen as a springboard to be able to lead people to Christ. They want to use these things to be attract people that we can make a difference and then bring them to the Lord. Okay, so next. The third thing is that salt creates thirst. It creates thirst. Have you ever had a bag of uh, peanuts, you know, shell peanuts at a baseball game and you're halfway through that bag and you're going, oh man, I need something to, uh, I need something to drink. And then you go buy, you know, the, the $8 soda, right? I mean, that's the whole plan. And so you get the point. I mean, salt creates thirst. And so look, we should be causing those around us to be thirsty for the things of God. We should be creating thirst. There's a world around us that's satisfied with what this world has to offer. So that's why there's always this, we got to up it to the next level. We got to, you know, seek this thrill or this entertainment, or we got to just numb ourselves. And so there's something that we have, we have this hope that the world needs and desires. Now I've talked to many that have actually come to faith because they've seen Christians go through hard times. They go through great loss, maybe lose, 
losing their job, maybe dealing with tragedy, uh, maybe fighting cancer or some other type issue. And so they see the hope that a Christian has going through these type of things, and they see that this is radically different. I want what they have, whatever it is. And so we want to create thirst, those around us. Okay, then next, we're to add flavor. We're to add flavor to life. We should be flavorful people. People should want to be drawn to us, be around us. So salt brings out the flavor in food. Some people even put on, you know, of course, eggs, but even like watermelon and cantaloupe, uh, potato chips. One time I got reduced um, salt, you know, reduced sodium potato chips. Don't do that. <laughs> it, you know, a fried chip, you know, fried slice of a potato isn't all that exciting until you put something else on it. And so particularly salt. And so uh, look, salt brings flavor. So should we. Jesus was never accused of being boring. Nor were his followers. People were drawn to him. People were um, continually coming to him, even presenting their children to him. And so, look, we should be flavorful people in our world. What about us? How do we um, bring flavor to the life and to those around us? Okay, the fifth thing has melting power. You know, you put ice, um, has some ice, and you throw some salt on it. You know what it does. And so, God can use us to melt the hard heart of those maybe antagonistic to the things of the Lord. And so he wants to use us, particularly not responding in like kind. I know of one guy that actually came to the Lord because he had a Christian friend and he kept kind of trying to press his Christian friend's buttons and it didn't work and he wouldn't react to him and it really kind of bothered him. Finally, he's like, why is this guy so different? And he found out this guy has this deep faith that he didn't have. And so it really was attractive. And so it's attractive when we don't like, we respond in like kind when the world throws evil things at us. And so we are to be different. And so there's melting power that God can use. Okay, so with all five of these, salt does not exist for itself. It exists for the function of enhancing food and preserving food. Same way, we're not to exist for ourselves. As far as Christ, we exist to make a difference in our world. We don't exist for ourselves. Okay, so then Jesus goes on, then comes the warning. In the second part of verse 13, Jesus says, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Okay, so we can lose our impact by being too much like the world, actually mixing too much with the world. So we lose our impact because we aren't distinct. We're inclined to do this. If Jesus gives a warning, the warnings are for a reason because it's something that we're likely inclined to do. And this is what we're inclined to do is mix too much with the world. Out of this verse, seven words are given to calling us salt. 29 words are giving the warning. So basically like 20% is talking about salt and our function. 80% is the warning of becoming too much like the world. So if salt loses its saltiness, it says be thrown out, be trampled underfoot. Well, people actually would use, you know, salt where it's no longer functions the way it should. And so they'd just throw it out to the street, fill in the cracks, and it would kill weeds. It's basically the function of the, of the salt. Look, that doesn't want to, God doesn't want us to be used in that way. He wants us to have an impact for the purpose he designed us for. I think of Lot, who had a choice of going either direction, him and Abraham, and God basically said, you know, here's the land, and Abraham said, look, I'm going to give you Lot uh, first choice. You can go wherever you want to go. And so Lot sees this real attractive, you know, fertile land heading toward the city of Sodom, which was the most evil city of the time and later was judged. And so he goes, I'm going to start heading that direction. I'm going to make my home toward Sodom. And then we find out later that he's like right next to Sodom. And then we find out he's in the city as one of the rulers. Well, that's the way it goes, is that it's a slippery slope as we start moving in that direction. What about us? Are, are we moving in that direction toward worldliness? 
or is there a separation? Jesus says to his disciples, about his disciples, we are to be in the world and not of the world. In the world, yes, we exist in this world, but we're not to be of the same substance of this world. We're in it, but not of it. We're to be different. And so the question I think we just need to ask ourselves, do we talk the same, act the same, look the same, have the same desires and the same entertainment, spend our money in the same kind of ways, have the same attitudes? Now think of this idea of attitude. One time my wife was talking to um, one of the moms of uh, now, one of the players on my son's baseball team, and they were just kind of talking and chit-chatting, and, you know, they got to know each other, became, you know, friends. And so she was lamenting, this mom was lamenting um, some injustice. I forgot exactly what the situation was, but there was some unjust situation that she was really not too happy about. My wife was trying to give her a little bigger perspective and, you know, um, kind of cheer her up a little bit. And she said this, she said, you Christians are always trying to look for the bright side of things. I was like, if that was meant to be like, be a cut, I was like, bring it on. I think that's a compliment in my mind. I mean, shouldn't we have a different perspective? I mean, shouldn't we see things? I, I was rejoicing at that, going, yes, we should be known for having a different perspective on life because we have a hope. We have eternal hope. We have hope here and now because God is with us. So is the world having a greater influence on us than we are on it? And that's a, a soul-searching question I think we all need to ask. I need to ask. Okay, and then moving to light. Okay, Jesus goes on, starting in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So me and my family, we, we travel up north. Um, a couple of times, we actually went on this California history tour. And so have you ever done that? Like you go visit the, the capital and then you go to gold country and you go old town Sacramento and all that. And I love, uh, you know, go to the old mining towns, the whole gold rush. It's so great. Uh, Sutter's Mill and Sutter's Fort. And then um, we would go to this maybe not as well-known cavern called Mercer Cavern. And so this little cavern, it's not huge, but it's really kind of fun. It's unique. Uh, it was found during the prospecting time where there's this one guy that thought he hit it rich. He saw some air coming out kind of through this hole where he's taking a nap and he went and bought this whole land, dug down in there and realized, oh, I didn't strike it rich. I just found a cave. And so he started actually uh, having tours. And so he would charge the gold miners a pinch of gold dust to go down and explore in it. And he'd lower him down in ropes. So we're on this tour and it goes down 16 stories and it goes down more than like 450 steps, I believe. And it's windy and kind of sketchy and you have to duck and you have to slide and some of the steps are really narrow and some are wet and, you know, it's not like super easy to get through. And we're down at the bottom and the tour guide uh, pulls out this like paddle, what it kind of looks like, you know, like a little cutting board and it had four candles on it. And basically said, uh, it has a little like, handle right here that the miner would go down on ropes before the stairs were there and he would have this in his teeth. Now you can imagine the problems here, right? What if he loses his grip in, on his teeth and it falls? Uh, what if it catches his beard on fire, which is very likely, right? You have a lot of issues. Uh, and so he lights, he turns off all the power, and he just has his board with these four candles. And we're like drawn to it because it is so dark down there. It's like, wow, you know, and you could try to imagine what it would be like just having those candles. And then what does he do? He blows out the candles. And then fear, you know, quickly sets in. You're like, uh-oh. And then he's real quiet. And they're kind of sneaky that way. And they're like, if he leaves us, like, that's it. 
Like, we're trapped down here. There's no way we're getting out of here without that guide, without light. You know, like, I didn't bring my flashlight. I was like, oh, I have my phone. No, I didn't bring my phone. So we're stuck. And, I, you know, starts kind of setting into panic, going, man, we're, we're just going to die down here if he doesn't turn the power back on. And then he turns it back on, and there's this sense of relief. Like, oh, okay, there's light. Well, that just really struck horror with me of how we are to be a light in our world. Our world is dark. It's shrouded in darkness. Light illuminates. It gives direction. It gives clarity. It brings warmth. It brings life. When it went dark, I couldn't even like, I could poke my own eye and I wouldn't even see my finger coming. It was so dark. Look, that's how Jesus describes our world. And we are called to be the light. We're to reflect the light of Jesus. The Christian is to stand out and we are to reflect the life of Jesus to others. It's that simple. We are the light of the world. The Christian will stand out and be noticed, isn't to be hidden. John chapter 8, verse 12, he says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, will have the light of life. So in the times that Jesus was speaking this, they had something actually the day before called the illumination of the temple. And it was actually this ceremony of what they do is they would light up the temple. And it wasn't just like lighting a couple candles. This was something that was radical, um, so bright and so powerful. There were four massive candelabras that are actually as tall as the highest wall in the temple. On the top were these huge torches made of these big bowls that would hold four or 65 liters of oil with these candle wicks kind of sticking out. And someone would have to climb up there and light those. As they lit them, they had to get out of the way because flames, flames would just kind of start leaping all over the place. And all those lit, this whole temple was just illuminated, so bright, but not just the temple of all of Jerusalem. All Jerusalem could see this, this light protruding from the temple. And it was a great celebration. They're celebrating God presence as the pillar of fire leading the children of Israel through their sojourn in the wilderness and bring them in the promised land. And they're celebrating God being the light. And so there'd be dancing and there would be music and harps being played and all that. And it's so great. It was a celebration. So right on the, the heels of this, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And then later he talks about the followers of God being the light of the world. And so everyone had this image because um, Jerusalem is set up on a hill. The idea is you're going up to Jerusalem. No matter which direction you come, it's up to Jerusalem because it's up. So the idea is that when Jesus says, you know, city on a, on a hill has this light, that's what he's talking about. That's the reference. And so everyone in Jewish culture would automatically be able to clue in to what he's talking about. Now for us, we don't have the, the source. We're not the, the light source. Just like the moon, the moon has no energy source of itself, right? It just reflects the light of the sun. Now, at any given time, the moon reflects 3 to 12%. And sometimes it's super bright, sometimes it's not so bright, but it reflects the sun. It doesn't have any power of its own. Same thing for us. We know that we realize that we're not the light, but we reflect the light of God. That is our goal. That's our purpose. My question for us would be, how much do we reflect? You know, uh, how much do we actually reflect the light of God? We need to give it back out. This light wasn't meant for us, just like the moon wasn't meant to hold on to the light, it reflects it back to us. Same way we're to give it back out. There's a great example that just kind of happened a couple of weeks ago where some students from our church here, Exit 83, were just down at the beach, at Huntington Beach, having, having fun Saturday. And when they're down there, they were walking on the sidewalk and there was this 
you know, kind of commotion that took place and someone kind of yells out, hey, is there, is there a first responder? Is there, is there a, a lifeguard, you know, on duty around here? And so um, as they're kind of yelling this, it was a chaotic scene because this young man uh, got hit by a car. He was, you know, pedestrian, he got hit by this car. It was pretty severe injuries. And so, you know, they're kind of like right there, already people trying to kind of attend. I think 911 was already called. But yeah, there was this uh, eight-year-old girl that was really upset by seeing this traumatic accident. And so two of the girls, two of the high school girls, actually just stopped and prayed for her right there. And then um, the rest of the group actually just circled up and prayed for the man that was hit by the car. In fact, another woman was walking by and she came up to them, seeing them praying and, and asked, are you guys praying? Uh, can I join you? And started praying. I just thought this was a great example of just being authentic Christian, living it out in the world. No one told uh, these students to go do this. No parent kind of organized it or anything. They were just kind of there and they just see it and they just were being the light. I think it's just a great example uh, for all of us. Look, we are to be the light. When Jesus goes on, now verse 15. It says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. There's a natural tendency for us to hide our light. First Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people, a holy priesthood, royal priesthood, sorry, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We were brought out of darkness and we are to reflect the light of Jesus to those that are still in the darkness, just like we used to be. I need to remember back what it was like to be in the darkness where God hauled me out and brought me out of that mire. I want to have that same heart to reveal that light to others. I'm not the light source. I just want to reflect it. So the story of this pastor was driving through the countryside and his car was starting to break down. So he pulled into this little town and there was this mechanic shop, you know, like the mechanic shop that's attached to the house kind of thing. And so kind of pulls in and opens the garage and mechanic starts taking a look at it and he has his assistant with him and it's getting late and he's kind of checking it out and the assistant is shining the light on the engine, but then he starts to get distracted and the light kind of, you know, drifts off, you know, and the mechanic kind of looks at him and goes, what are you here for anyways? And I think that's actually a great kind of call for us. What are we here for? We're called to keep that light right where it's supposed to be. Shine that light in our world. And light reveals things. It reveals things that need attention. Well, God wants to do a work. He, He wants to be the repairman in our world. And he wants to use us to draw attention to it. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers of all time in the mid 1800s, the Victorian era. And so he says this, poor world, poor world. It is dark and gropes in midnight and it cannot get light except it receives it through us. To be the light of the world surrounds life with the most stupendous responsibilities and so invest it with the most solemn dignity. Hear this, you humble men and women, you who have no figure in society, you are the light of the world. If you burn dimly, dim is the world's light. In dense its darkness. You get what he's saying. You're saying, we are plan A to bring this light into the world. There is no plan B. There's no plan B. It's us. We can say this for sure. God did not intend us to be secret Christians. He wasn't interested in producing undercover Christians. We weren't to kind of keep it under wraps. Okay, so where does this all lead? Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay, so there's the idea that they see what we do. Light or light, allow our light to shine. 
We have our good deeds, and those good deeds point to the Lord. The result, God gets the glory. Now, we can do things in such a way that draws attention to us, but if we're doing it correctly, we're drawing attention to God. You know, we're drawing attention to him, we're pointing to him. This is the first time in the Bible that actually God is referred to as Father, which I love because it, it describes like this, this tenderness. It describes this intimacy that the child of God is to have with God, our Father. This is the first time it's actually mentioned as Father. And so I like this because if you see a child that does something really good, like say does something really, you know, nice or sacrificial, goes out of their way or work ethic, you know, who do you give credit to? Imagine, you know, I drop a bunch of cash and, you know, a child comes up and picks it up and runs after me, Mr. Mr. You know, I would be very happy the child did this and I would thank the child, but who would I be looking for to really think? The parents, yeah, because really it's, it's not just that child. It's like the, something that the parents instilled in this child that created that kind of character to be able to run after me and give me that money back. So I'm going to go to the parents and go, hey, good job. Whatever you're doing, keep it up. And you're doing great. You're raising uh, great children here or whatever. You know, I would give the parents the credit. Same way, when we do these good works, God gets the credit. God gets the glory. It makes him look good as our father. Okay, so being salt and light, fear, fear must take a back seat. Fear must take a back seat. It, it can't lead in our thinking. Salt is needed because the world is rotting and decaying. Light is needed because the world is in darkness. However, there's a legitimate fear to being rejected. No one wants to be rejected. We don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be rejected. And there can be a real fear. But I have to ask myself, Am I more concerned about reaching out to those that are in darkness than my fear of not being appreciated for my efforts? I would hope my love would be greater than my fear. One time I was involved in this group called Campus Safe for Christ, and, and you know, I was kind of new to this whole Christian thing, and it was my sophomore year in college at Santa Barbara, and so um, you know, I was really liking it. I was growing in the ways of the Lord, committed my life to Him. And I remember my friends asked me, you know, what are you doing tomorrow night? And I said, well, I'm going to this, this group, you know, campus, campus group, campus crusade. They're like, oh, okay. And then I felt like later the Lord just kind of, you know, spoke to me and said, Troy, why, why did you shorten the name? Why didn't you call it Campus Crusade for Christ? Why did, why did you just call it, you know, Crusade? Or why did you just call it Campus, you know, College Ministry? And I got really convicted by it. So the next time when they asked me what I was doing, imagine what I said. Campus Crusade for Christ. I tell about Christ. Campus Crusade for Christ. It's, yeah, it's Christ, Christ. I'm Christian, Christ thing. It's good. You can check it out. I was super convicted. Like, I left it off. And it wasn't by accident. And so, look, we are to point people, direct people to him. I want others to have what I have. Look, those around us have a character of what it means to be a Christian, do they not? They can see us as being hypocrites or stuck in the past or old-fashioned or ignorant, judgmental, narrow-minded. But yet we can break those stereotypes one at a time. Yeah, we can't change all the stereotypes all the time, but we can, we can break them one at a time by your interaction in a loving way, having loving words for those around you. I want you just to picture for a moment Imagine there's a big map on the wall behind me. There it is. So picture this map. I want you to actually in your mind just pinpoint where you work, where you live, and where you recreate. You got it? Okay, there are going to be a lot of pin marks all throughout this area. So imagine our whole church, all three services, all of those pin marks. That map is going to be covered. Meaning that's our mission field, friends. 
yeah, God might call you to go to Thailand with us. That'd be great. But this is our mission field right here. We have this area covered. We're to be salt and light right here in this area. So let's be the salt and light. Francis of Assisi says this. He was a great Catholic friar of the 1200s from Italy. He's known for his humility and for his acts of service. He says, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Now, sometimes people hide behind this a little bit and go, see, I don't have to use words. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, I want my, my actions to back up my words. He has another phrase where he says, start by doing what's necessary, then do what's possible, and suddenly you're doing the impossible. Look, we, we need action, friends, but not just action. We need words that back up action because if I were to wager, you're here because someone talked to you about the things of Christ. Someone used words at one point or another, right? What we're to use words. We can share what God is doing in our life. We can share our story. We invite people to church. There's a point that we also need to do words. We need to have action and we need to have words. And we need to be those that care for the world around us. There's gonna be actually a, a class that we're gonna have, share your faith class, or remove some of the scarier fear from sharing your faith. And that's gonna be June 5th. Tuesday is 6.30, so there's going to be a class we're going to be doing. So I want you to check that out. Sign up for that. That could be a big step of faith of you moving toward being more of salt and light in your community. First John chapter 4 says this, There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Do we listen to that voice of fear, or are we going to listen to what God wants us to do? There's a song that I just really love that you might hear on the radio from time to time. It says, Fear, he is a liar. Oh, fear, he is a liar. He'll take your breath, stop you in your steps. Fear is a liar. He'll rob you of your rest, steal your happiness, cast all your fear in the fire because fear is a liar. I'm just gonna give you four practical, quick things that you can do to live out being salt and light. One, be authentic. Be authentic Christian in our world. Just live it out. You're not perfect, but you're authentic. Two, be a friend. Don't make people feel like you're, they're a project, but be a friend. Be authentic, be a friend. Third, look for ways to help. They're building a fence, you go over there with your gloves. They move in, you show up with your weight belt. You're ready to do this. Uh, you drop off some desserts during the holidays. You look for ways to be a help. Fourth, be a good listener. Learn their names. We live in a culture of bad listeners. Because you know what's a favorite topic of all people? Is ourselves, yeah. So ask questions, get them talking about themselves and actually listen to what they say. Uh, you will make a friend. Look, we can make a difference by being authentic, be a friend, look for ways to be a help and be a good listener. Let's be the salt and light. So who is your king and what difference does it make? Friends, we are here for a reason. We are here for a reason. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And if you, friends, um, if you're here and this isn't totally clicking, you're like, well, you know, I, I haven't given myself to Christ. We'd love to talk to you. How you can be brought out of darkness and brought into life and how you can make that step today. And so we'll have a prayer team over here. I'll also be around and love to talk to you more about that. But friends, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now let's go do it. Amen? Lord, do that work in us. Lord, we know it's a work that you do in us and through us. And so, Lord, help us just be available. Help us be available to your leading, to your guiding. Lord, remove the fear. The fear that the enemy would want is still in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give us a love and passion for those around us. So, Lord, now help us to use our actions and words to draw people to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you. Have a great Mother's Day. <laughs>